Well, hello and welcome to the first ever Frontier Report by Frontier Mining. I'm Kyle. This is Arlen Whitfield. And we are the men behind Frontier. If you haven't had a chance to hear about us before, we are big believers in the Internet of Trust, so much so that we created a company to power the Internet of Trust. We really do believe that blockchain technology deserves to be built on sustainable infrastructure. And because of that, we do not only build that infrastructure, but we also host that infrastructure, manufacturing, selling, hosting, managing, and optimizing cryptocurrency miners. Uh, We now kick off our podcast series with episode number one. Really what you can expect from this series is a couple different things. First and foremost, we want to get a little bit of insight into what is going on in this world of cryptocurrency and blockchain, one of the most volatile yet exciting markets to be a part of. So we're going to give you a little scoop of what's been happening over the course of the last week. And of course, a little commentary and uh, sort of our hot takes on everything going on. Hopefully you'll be hearing from us uh, just about once every week. If not, you can always find us online at Frontier mining.co. Arlen, any final notes before we tell the good people what's been going on in the very strange world of cryptocurrency? Uh, I don't have everything off the top of my head, but it has been an exciting week and for good and bad reasons. That it most definitely has. You know, in fact, so much so that in just the last week alone, after seeing Bitcoin make it all the way up to close to 20,000 in December of 2016 or 2017, excuse me, we now see Bitcoin drop to an all-time low. What's been going on? You know, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of uncertainty going on in the market. Uh, we had uh, that exchange get hacked. About yeah. was it last week? Yeah, there um, were two Japanese crypto exchanges that were hacked. Actually, yeah, they just can't seem to keep their servers secure. They cannot um, keep it together at all. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting. This this pattern has been repeated year over year, and I think now it just been really like shown in the microscope because how many people are in it but when bitcoin was 300 when it was a thousand when it was three thousand um this you know this happened this happened again and again well and as you're here you'll hear us talk about a lot today the ceo of coinbase has come out quite a few times brian armstrong a guy that's been involved with bitcoin for 10 plus years and what he said is this is just the nature of how this market operates in the same way that we're seeing the stock market deal with massive massive trade regulations right now and have such incredible volatility a market like cryptocurrency that's obviously deregulated faces the same problems and the truth be told, when we're looking at this market, Arlen, this is a market that is 100% driven by sentiment at this point. What do we always say? The majority of the technologies that will be released on blockchain, we're not even going to see until Q4, or Q4 2018, actually, and uh, Q1 2019. So point being is there's actually no real value in this world beyond a couple cryptocurrencies, maybe Bitcoin being one of them. Bitcoin, Ethereum, I think is, you know, being used in a real capacity in some businesses. But yeah, like you said, it's so experimental. It's so cutting edge. It's bleeding edge. You know, people are bleeding. (laughs) And um, all the ICOs that happened last year or that whole entire rush to to get the next coin, um, we're not going to see the fruits of that, of those uh, rounds of funding for another, I don't know, year, two years here. And um, people are expecting that to all take off the second they put their money in. It, this is, you know, in the grand scale of things, this is only like, you know, a small like three to four year period, but it feels like lifetimes when you're in it. And um, I think that's a lot of this, this FUD's fueled by that. People expecting like instant turnaround, instant products, um, instant feedback on their investments. And in the real world, I just, I don't see that happening, but this is kind of a 
bizarro land in the crypto space. It 100% is, and I think it's pulled a lot of people out of reality, primarily because of how strange this market is. You know, shortly after seeing Bitcoin reach its all-time low, which was right around 6,000, it bounced back up, and now it's been fluctuating in that 6 to 7K range. But meanwhile... Tether gets a $250 million infusion, putting the total supply of Tether at over $3 billion. Most investors, of course, see this as a handful of whales uh, coming into the market, including uh, Litecoin founder Charlie Lee, who said, generally, this has just been a precursor of of price going up. When we see this much Tether get printed, uh, it usually means that people are going to invest in the exchanges. It is a sign, a promising sign more than anything, but we're talking about a quarter billion billion dollars in this incredibly volatile market. So I guess if this is an indication of anything, it's the fact that nobody really knows what's going on. And if you see Bitcoin reach that all time low, that's not representative truly of anything meaningful. Uh, This market, as we continue to mention, is in its 100 percent infancy stages. Yeah. And in the, you know, Tether is an interesting topic in and of itself. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty around where they're getting their money. Apparently, it's backed by the U.S. dollar. They, I, they well, they have, claim it's a one-to-one ratio. Yeah, and that's, I mean, they're at $3 billion now. Like, mm-hmm. how does a company come out of nowhere and hit $3 billion? You're absolutely that, that right. That raises some flags. But at the same time, um, you know, Tether has been, and, you know, when we were really playing heavy into the markets, it's kind of our, we, we zero out on Tether. We, you yep. know, go in, we do our investment. That's exactly we, right. We realize our gains in Tether, and we go back out, and, um, you know, it's it's a crucial to the market. A stable coin is necessary. It just uh, it's going to be interesting to see if Tether really is that coin. Well, and we're now seeing a couple other stable coins get introduced to the market. So it's hard to say if Tether is going to be that one, especially because of the study that came out of UT Austin indicating that Tether was massively inflated. Uh, but like the nature of anything else in this market, go in with soft feet, be prepared to lose all of your money. Uh, but most importantly, feel secure in the fact that we have businesses and VC firms like Andreessen Horowitz coming in just as of yesterday, introducing $300 million uh, into their own cryptocurrency fund. This is just a massive sign of the fact that institutional capital is going to come into this market, whether it's a bear or bull market. Uh, The one thing that I did find ironic amidst all of this is just yesterday, or maybe the day before earlier this week, we saw Facebook lift its ban on cryptocurrency ads. The, the, The big ironic piece here is that Andreessen Horowitz was actually an early investor into Facebook. Right as Andreessen Horowitz decided to open up their cryptocurrency fund, Facebook lifts its ba- uh, its ban on cryptocurrency ads. Um, yeah, it's, it's hilarious. And, you know, the this is big. This is a big deal for... This is huge. I mean, I, I think it's one other example of true institutional capital entering the space. People sure. are saying it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. They're coming. And this is it. I mean, this is like the first of probably many, you know, it's kind of like dominoes, the first to fall, many follow after. Um, This is a big deal for the industry. I I really do expect to see some uh, exciting developments and not only in the terms of the price of Bitcoin, but the adoption uh, and the mass appeal of Bitcoin and the other uh, currencies associated with that in the near future. Let's use this as the biggest indicator of all in the fact that now Andreessen Horowitz, which is obviously 
relatively for the most part an early stage uh, investment fund although they also you know they put the majority of their funds in the series a series b the point is they're putting their money into relatively young companies that they're not expecting returns on for three to five to ten years so if they're willing to put 300 million dollars into blockchain based companies that they expect to see an roi on in three to five to ten years as investors into the market we should expect the same thing the one sort of shining light uh, amidst all of the ugliness in crypto though is that andreessen horowitz new crypto fund is going to be run by a woman named Katie Hahn. If you don't know Katie Hahn, she sat on Coinbase's board of directors where she met Chris Dixon, who was at the time, and I believe still is, the general partner of Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, they came together, of course, with their massive interest in Coinbase. He introduced her to the idea of opening up a $300 million uh, Andreessen Horowitz crypto fund. And the great part about Katie, which I love more than anything, is not only is she leading the charge on uh, sort of female invest uh, investors, but in addition to that, she was a federal prosecutor. She came from the Department of Justice. In fact, she was the first ever coordinator for digital assets for the DOJ. And I think the coolest part of this story is that she was instrumental in the Mt. Gox hack and sort of the takedown. Uh, and in addition to that, in terms of the dismantling of, Sil uh, of Silk Road, she uh, was a huge figure there. So bottom line, Andreessen Horowitz snagged an incredible woman uh, to lead their new cryptocurrency fund. And we're excited to see where it goes. Yeah, this is going to be big. And and uh, I, I just, I'm, I'm sitting here watching. As am I, as am I. Remember, to all of the Frontier Report listeners out there, hodl, hodl, hodl. But let's shift over to stories of the week. Uh, there has been quite a bit going on. As I mentioned just a second ago, Katie Hahn, who is now the uh, lead investor for Andreessen Horowitz's new cryptocurrency fund, she was one of the uh, critical sort of components in, in assessing and investigating the Mt. Gox hack. Uh, interesting news on that front, though. Yeah. Um, so, you know, uh, this last week, a Japanese court uh, ruled to pull Mt. Gox out of bankruptcy. And uh, this is kind of a, this is actually a very big deal for the people that were involved in the hack, a lot of early adopters, um, because it means they're going to get their money back. And it's going to be in a way that people were not anticipating. There's a, there's a few key, key moments I want to hit on this. So the first thing is, um, you know, back in 2014, Mt. Gox was hacked for 85 or 850,000 Bitcoin, which is was worth only 473 million at the time. Um, and that, that accounted for, at the time, 7% of all Bitcoin in existence. I mean, this is a massive hack. It, it, shook, it shook the market. It shook people's confidence in the currency. Um, I mean, Mt. Gox was the, I guess, I don't know, the place to go to spend uh, it. Absolutely. I mean, it, was, it was a superpower at the time. Yeah, it, was, it was, looked like it, it, people could not believe this happened. And... Um, you know, it got. They reported that it was hacked, and then soon after, it was discovered that about two hundred thousand Bitcoin um, was actually one of the accounts. And due to that, Tokyo froze their assets and um, put into a bankruptcy estate. Um, and that has been the case for about four years. These all the people that all the creditors and uh, have just been sitting on the sidelines. Their Bitcoin kind of frozen in this estate account, and the Japanese courts going back and forth. And finally, after those four years, um, uh, the Tokyo District Court halted their bankruptcy 
proceedings and commence the legal process known as civil rehabilitation. And this is actually the first time that's happened. Yeah, it um, is. And you know what I find really interesting amidst all of this? You're talking about the creditor claims that were associated with this. Uh, there was a guy by the name of, what was it, Thomas Brazil? Brazil, something along those mm-hmm. lines. Mm-hmm. Remind me what exactly he did with the with the, uh, with the the credit claims? Yeah, he, you know, people thought they'd never see their money. And they actually saw thought that they just see their money in USD. So they started selling off their, I guess, rights or their claim to the credit that they were owed for pennies on the dollar. Mm-hmm. And this guy saw an opportunity, and this is before any of this was announced. The stalemate's been going on for four years, so he just said, I'm going to buy a million dollars worth of credits from people that are waiting to get their money back, and people are willing to give him that you know penny on the dollar rate. And um, he bought a million dollars, and you know because of this, this uh, I guess, a Evolving or you know the situation, he's going to make about ten to twenty x his investment. There's a brilliant investment, yeah, just, really. And, and the reason why actually is because um, people thought they were going to get their money back in USD at the value that it was when it was stolen, which means you know Bitcoin was only worth four hundred something back then, and it's worth six thousand now. So they would be getting uh, you know fraction of what they really would be owed if they held this whole time. Right. Um, but that court actually ruled that they'd be, be able to get their money back in BTC mm-hmm. um, in the value, like in, in like they, they lost one BTC, they get one BTC, which means this guy who just went out and bought a million dollars worth of credit is going to get a million dollars in BTC in the coins that those people are owed, which is just, it, he's going to, and he just, it's a, an incredible move on his part. And it really goes to show like how <laughs> uncertain things are in this market where people are willing to give up this because they just, they lose faith in it. There's just no precedent. Right. The government's moving really slow. Um, it's a, it's a big issue. Um, so, you know, he made a good move there. It looks like, you know, uh, Mt. Gox put up a, I guess a filing process. People have a year to submit that they, uh, what basically prove that they are owed X amount of the coin or how they want to get paid, and then they review that. So people aren't going to see this, you know, 200,000 BTC entering the market anytime soon, but it has caused people um, to sell off their Bitcoin. Right. They, they see a potential 200,000 BTC uh, re entering the market, which is about $1.2 billion in today's, um, you know, value of Bitcoin and that that scared them and they sold off so that that coupled with the two hacks that we talked about earlier um, really pushed a lot of downward pressure on the market but I think at the end of the day this is going to be a good thing for Bitcoin people that were early believers in Bitcoin and invested back then are now getting capital to re-enter the market and they might not necessarily invest in Bitcoin they might invest in an ICO an IPO or not an IPO uh, another you know coin offering and mm-hmm. um, or just invest back into like Ethereum or they can distribute their wealth across a multitude number of uh, different currencies and at the end of the day more people putting more money into the market is good for everybody. That's absolutely right. To see one billion or around one billion uh, U.S. dollars in Bitcoin return to the market is incredibly exciting. And of course, lots of love to Katie Hahn, who's now over at Andreessen Horowitz. As I had mentioned just a second ago, uh, great to see her kind of playing a role in ensuring that uh, all of these creditors actually had their claims go through. Um, in the midst of all of this, there's some other exciting news now going on in the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. Uh, we have a major 
major, uh, what I like to call corporate startup, Spotify, now acquiring a company called Media Chain. If you haven't heard of Media Chain before, it was founded in 2016. It is a really simple goal. It wants to connect creators to content on the blockchain. So their original intention was we want to allow musicians to be able to freely upload content and not have to feel concerned about the rights to their content or the usage of their content. Obviously, in today's day and age, we see a huge issue with music piracy. Uh, in fact, it's been going on really as long as I've personally been alive. Uh, back in the early days of LimeWire, now have gone all the way to the days of being able to download audio from YouTube clips. But what Media Chain has been able to do is, is quite unique. They ultimately developed a handful of different technologies uh, that could ultimately help, as I mentioned, creators connect to their content on the blockchain. They have a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer database that connects applications with media and the information about it, as well as an attribution engine for creators so we know where the content is coming from. Uh, I think the most unique component of this all and one of my favorite parts of these blockchain-based applications is Media Chain also has a cryptocurrency associated with it that rewards creators for their work to ensure that we're not only getting credible but also quality work. Uh, you know, in today's age, there's there's a huge issue, as I had mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, going on with this idea of music piracy. In fact, looking just at Spotify last year, who again was the acquirer of Media Chain, they had a huge issue uh, over the course of 2017 leading up into 2018, where they had failed to obtain mechanical licenses for 25% of the songs that were on their platform. Uh, ultimately, what that means is that they did not have the right licenses, which essentially referred to a copyright holder's ability to reproduce a musical work. So in other words, they didn't have the licenses allowed to reproduce work created by musicians. What they had to do in early 2018 is they actually had to pay $25 million out in settlements. $20 million was paid back to the creators, $5 million in fees paid back to the government. Uh, and Spotify's ultimate claim was that at the time they did not have a technology as powerful as what Media Chain has been able to introduce. Uh, their ultimate sort of synthesis amidst this all was the fact that they didn't have the data on legitimacy of people's claims, number one. Uh, and number two, they didn't know how to locate the uh, sort of uh, illegal parties who were either claiming that their music was being uh, used against their rights or were claiming uh, that they had the rights to uh, a certain track or a certain piece of content. Uh, of course, Media Chain now solves this problem and it's incredibly exciting having a, taking sort of this idea of a centralized creator content database and making it decentralized, of course, sort of the core component of blockchain technology there. And I think the biggest takeaway for someone like me who's been involved in the music industry for several years now is that blockchain is empowering creators across the board. If you look at things like Tron, Kodak Coin, which which are other pieces of blockchain technology that allow creators to store their assets in a more safe and secure way. Uh, what Media Chain now allows us to do is allow artists to safely and securely stamp their work so that it cannot be easily replicated. And the biggest thing here is now artists can always go back to their point of origin when they create something. So big shout out to all the musicians out there. You are now protected. You're going to be paid your royalties fairly. And hopefully you will not have any kids like uh, my brother and myself years ago downloading your music illegally uh of course yeah. of course off the record off the record uh but moving on you know we had talked about a second ago arlen we're, we're looking at all of these sort of shifts now occurring in the space of cryptocurrency and blockchain uh, we're now seeing government regulation really start to ramp up in fact i was just reading earlier this week that the supreme court is now changing their view on money uh in fact to the point 
to the point where they're almost seeing Bitcoin as a logical currency uh, within the next 10 to 20 years. It kind of goes back to the tulip theory. Anything can be a currency, right? It has value because it has value. You know. the, yeah. That, I mean, we've been off the gold standard for so long. It's kind of like, you know, at this point, why not have a better dollar? It's all perceived, right? Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in the midst of this all, Colorado has been taking some fascinating steps forward uh, with blockchain technology. And, and just recently, they, they have a blockchain technology council now. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, Col- Colorado, the Colorado governor recently appointed 12 to the quote-unquote blockchain technology council and this is you know colorado is always leading the charge on these fringe industries i mean we had the the marijuana one yep, and, uh, absolutely and now we're on blockchain and you know i, I think it's really great you know, the colorado is actually becoming a blockchain uh technology epicenter they're really supportive of the technology you know they actually i was just reading the other day too that they actually just offered the first government grant to a blockchain-based company that's correct yeah i mean that's it's That's just unheard of. It's, I mean, it's literally unprecedented. Yeah, it's unprecedented, and it's not surprising they're the first. But I mean, let me so let me just uh, read what the, the what this council is going to do for us. Sure. Uh, the council for the advance. I'm quoting here from Government John Hickenlooper. It's a hell of a name. Hickenlooper. <laughs> yeah, it's a hell oh, of a name. Uh, so this is what he said: The council for the advance of blockchain technology will recommend a comprehensive legal framework to support blockchain technology that considers potential applications and boundaries of the technology and protections for customers. The council also recommends guidelines for relevant agencies concerning policies that will allow for the natural evolution of this young and promising technology while simultaneously ensuring protection for data and consumers. And this is great. You know? It really is. I mean, th- that is exactly what we need right now. Mm-hmm. There is so much uncertainty and uh, fear and just, I guess, you know, it's, it's funny. Blockchain is supposed to be so transparent. Right. There's a lot of untrans- like it's a lot of, it's very opaque at times and very uh, well, and I think I think for many people it's still a field that's just completely full of ambiguity and yep. you know we were at a conference not too long ago where we were talking about regulation and government intervention and we were sort of hearing from some of these crypto experts as they so call them uh, but at the end of the day regulation is actually incredibly positive seeing the Colorado government step in mm-hmm. it's actually a very encouraging sign for investors because this is when institutional capital wants to get interested yeah. in what blockchain is doing it helps take the uncertainty and the risk that that perceived with an unregulated industry regulates right. it and then people come in that's what we saw with Horowitz yep. it, there's a few names a lot of these names are you know there's the Democratic State Representative and uh, a bunch of guys like that but two notable guys jumped out at me that, that have been appointed to this council and that's uh, Blake Samuel Cohen he's the co-founder of Salt Lending which is you know last year we saw just blow up people sure. are all about salt Sure. Um, and then um, Eric Voorhees the CEO of Shapeshift which mm. You know, this is the people that are trying to get into the space. They just want to see their Bitcoin turn into something else. You know, they buy something on Coinbase and a few months later want to invest in Monero. Right. This is it. I mean, this right. is a big deal. And the fact that they got him to participate in this, I trust that he's going to be able to, uh, I guess, shepherd and, and lead the charge for um, blockchain as a whole. So I think a great, great board they chose. And um, this is great. This is good for institutional capital and it's going to be good for blockchain. All I can say is shout out to Hickenlooper. Yeah. That's my man. One of the more progressive governors that we have across our beautiful nation. Uh, We, of course, would love to see this uh, sort of increase in government regulation or at least uh, government attention to this new emerging technology. But uh, but it's an exciting time. It really is. The fact that we have reached this point at such an early stage in blockchain's life cycle means that it is inevitably impactful. It's moving so fast. And, you know, now in terms of impact, I mean, there's 
there's that CEO, the CEO of Coinbase just launched something. Brian right? Arm- yeah, yeah, Brian Armstrong, right? So, you know, one of the funniest things that we oftentimes hear in this world of cryptocurrency and blockchain uh, is the fact that you've got a lot of bros in Lambos. Uh, and truth be told, <laughs> as, uh, as Arlen and I have gotten deeper into this space and started to operate a company in the world of cryptocurrency, we have started to notice there are a handful of shady individuals. There are your Bitcoin rich type of folk, and then there's the people who want to be Bitcoin rich, neither of which you want to deal with. And just by the luck of the draw, neither, the, neither is the CEO of Coinbase, again, Brian Armstrong. So as you probably remember, back in 2017, we saw 5.6 billion dollars raised through ICOs. There were a lot of there was a lot of conversation at the time that 90% of these ICOs were actually complete scams. Uh, but the reality was $5.6 billion, that's real money. And it did end up in the hands of some of these cryptocurrency creators. But my man, Mr. Armstrong decided he actually wanted to finally take this ridiculous amount of cash and start to give it back. So to do that, he created Give Crypto. Give Crypto is going to be what he hopes is a $1 billion charitable fund that funds people through cryptocurrency all around the world. I think one of the most unique components of this and something that Brian has touched on quite a bit is that this is going to popularize cryptocurrency. Although we hear about it all the time, we're still looking at at, at less than a 1% global adoption rate uh, based primarily on the users of a handful of different exchanges. Uh, maybe we're at that 1% point, but my the, you know the bigger theme here is that people still don't know. I can certainly tell you my parents have no idea what's going on. They just see Bitcoin in the front page of the paper and get freaked out. But the bottom line is that this is going to provide new use cases. We now know that cryptocurrency can be used uh, for charitable purposes. And in fact, I would go as far to say, because of my belief in cryptocurrency, that if I'm a charitable organization, I'm gladly accepting cryptocurrency because it's not about the face value today. It's about the value it is tomorrow or in five years, etc. But to directly quote Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, he says cryptocurrency is unique in the way that it can be used to send small amounts of money anywhere in the world in real time directly to an individual in need. They just need a mobile device with an internet connection. With distribution of aid to foreign countries, high fees and corruption uh, are unfortunately common in the space of charitable giving. Cryptocurrency is a way of circumventing both getting money in the hands of the people that need it. Uh, Of course, this is part, like I said, of a really powerful $1 billion goal. Uh, He's only started about 24, 48 hours ago, and he's already raised $3.5 million. One million of that coming from his company, Coinbase. Another million coming from the fellow cryptocurrency, Ripple. Uh, 100K coming from our brothers over at Bitmain, which is one of the largest cryptocurrency mining operations globally, uh, and a handful of other undisclosed investors who decided to put money into it. Uh, The money's not going to be distributed until they hit the $10 million mark, so they've got about $6.5 million to go. But the bigger theme here is that we're finally seeing a philanthropic component to this world of cryptocurrency, not just with Give Crypto. Uh, Ripple, who was, as I mentioned, gave a million dollars to the Give Crypto Fund, just recently invested $29 million in public schools. And alongside that, an undisclosed Bitcoin-rich investor created an $85 million fund called the Pineapple Fund. uh, And it is the very first major charitable crypto fund, Give Crypto to follow shortly after. Uh, It is rewarding to see that people are finally recognizing that with great amounts of money comes great responsibility, and they are taking that responsibility uh, right on the head. So, Brian, we are proud of you. We hope one day we can shake your hand. Until then, keep doing what you're doing. So, 
for episode number one of the Frontier Report. That just about wraps it up from our end. As you know, you can tune in every week to get bite-sized bits of what's going on in the world of blockchain and cryptocurrency. I'm Kyle. He's Arlen. Find us online at FrontierMining.co if you ever want to chat with us. We're pretty easy to find. We've got our intercom literally sitting right in the face of our website and goes yep. right to our phones. So uh, we are not hard to get in contact with. And if they want to jump on our social media, I think we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Telegram, etc. So we'll see you back here in a week, but thanks for tuning in. <laughs>